Hello, this is Pastor Aaron Shepherd, and you are listening to the sermon podcast of Union Congregational Church, the church by the park in East Walpole, Massachusetts. At Union, we believe in the power of God's word. And so whether you are able to join us when we gather each week at 1015 on Sunday mornings, or whenever or wherever this podcast finds you, I hope that you are inspired anew to deeper faith and greater resolve by the message of the gospel. Our current sermon series is called The Saints of Summer. Throughout this summer, we are assembling an all-star lineup of both well-known and less well-known people whose lives proclaim the good news of God's grace. Here's this week's message. Our scripture reading today, as we, as we prepare to hear God's word, comes to us from Paul's letter to the Ephesians in the fourth chapter. Let's listen now for God's word for us. You were taught to put away your former way of life, your old self, corrupt and deluded by its lusts, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to clothe yourselves with the new self, created according to the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So then, putting away falsehood, let all of us speak the truth to our neighbors, for we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not make room for the devil. Thieves must give up stealing. Rather, let them labor and work honestly with their own hands so as to have something to share with the needy. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up as there is need, so that your words may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with which you were marked with a seal for the day of redemption. Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander, together with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God, as beloved children, and live in love, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. May God add a blessing to the reading and to the hearing of these words. Well, friends, this morning we are picking back up with uh, our summer sermon series, The Saints of Summer. Over the course of this summer, we've been assembling an all-star lineup of those whose lives show forth God's presence, that make real and tangible the words and the good news of Scripture that we hear. A couple weeks back, uh, Alan Doty came and spoke about Julian of Norwich, who lived a life that showed forth the truth that God made all things for love. And then a couple weeks before that, uh, it was Fred Rogers, uh, who... uh, embodied that great gift of kindness, God's grace, both in his words and in his way of being all his life. But this week, rather than uh, calling up from the vast farm system of the Christian tradition another addition to our all-star team, uh, we're going to look outside. We're going to have a trade. We're going to acquire a new player. Mm -hmm. 
This week I want to talk about Thich Nhat Hanh. He was a Zen Buddhist monk and peace activist uh, who lived most of his life in exile in France uh, from his home country of Vietnam. He passed away just this last January at the age of 95 after living a long life devoted to peace and nonviolence and the way of compassion as he had learned it in uh, the Zen Buddhist tradition. His, his call story goes something like this. At the age of 16, he was reading a magazine. And in the magazine was a picture of the Buddha. And he saw the Buddha depicted in this magazine uh, smiling. And he was struck by the smile on the Buddha's face. He said, I want that kind of smile on my face. It was the smile of perfect contentment. And so he told his parents, I, I want to devote myself to study and to practice, to learn the way of the Buddha so I too can smile in that same way. And so he, at the age of 16, went to live in a monastery uh, in a city called Hue in Vietnam. But what he became most known for after his years of study was what is called engaged Buddhism. I think when we often think of Buddhism, we think of people sitting cross-legged on the floor in silence, not doing a whole lot of anything. And to some extent, that's right. But, but Thich Nhat Hanh became a Buddhist monk in Vietnam in the 1940s, when the first Indochina War broke out. It was the war of independence for the Vietnamese people against the French colonial government. They fought the French for nine years before eventually suing for peace and partitioning the country into North and South Vietnam in 1954. Of course, that's then set the stage for the second Indochina War, the war we all know as the Vietnam War, uh, which broke out in 1965, though there had been conflict all along. But all throughout that time, rather than just being in his monastery, Thich Nhat Hanh had been publishing magazine articles, he had been going out and demonstrating in the streets with others, against both of these wars. In 1964, he wrote this poem. It said, Whoever is listening, be my witness. I cannot accept this war. I never could, and I never will. And I must say this a thousand times before I am killed. I am like the bird who dies for the sake of its mate, dripping blood from its broken beak and crying out, Beware! Turn around and face your real enemies. Ambition, violence, hatred, and greed. See, what Thich Nhat Hanh taught was that these wars were not the result of government actors or the grand uh, fight between democracy and communism. No, the source of violence, the source of war, he believed after his tradition came from within came from the vices of ambition and violence, hatred and greed, which corrupt the self. Of course, in denouncing the war, he was, uh, by some, treated as pro-communist, by others as, as not communist enough. And so he was not welcome anywhere in his stance. But that was true of many people in the 60s who took this path of nonviolence. 
When he came to America in 1967, however, he found kindred spirits in the person of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King and Thomas Merton, a Trappist monk who was also an anti-war demonstrator at the time. Merton once wrote uh, a sentiment almost exactly the same as, as that in Han's poem. He wrote, instead of hating the people you think are war makers, hate the appetite and the disorder in your own soul, which are the causes of war. If you love peace, then hate injustice, hate tyranny, hate greed, but hate these things in yourself and not in another. King, for his part, was so impressed by Thich Nhat Hanh that he nominated him for the Nobel Peace Prize. He said, I do not personally know of anyone more worthy of the prize than this gentle monk from Vietnam. His ideas for peace, if applied, would be a monument to ecumenism, to world brotherhood, to humanity. King and Merton recognized in Thich Nhat Hanh was called Tay by his followers, it means teacher. He rec- they all recognized together that, that the common theme, the thing that tied together the Buddhist tradition that was so very different from their own Christian one, and the Christianity that King and Merton were, were preaching, was this one fundamental truth, that the way of peace, that the hope for justice in the world comes not from the imposition of laws or or policies that bring nations to heal. The way of nonviolence begins not with outward action, but inwardly with spiritual renewal. That if we fought less and smiled more, that the world would be a more peaceful place. And that is not far off from what the Apostle Paul wrote to the Ephesians in what we heard today. He said, you were taught to put away your former way of life, your old self, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds so that you may clothe yourselves with a new self created after the likeness of God and become imitators of God as beloved children and live in love as Christ loved us. Paul recognized the truth of the gospel that God saves not through the outward change in the world, but first through an inward spiritual renewal. And that faith means taking up that new self, living in the likeness of God. Tay wrote something similar in his book, which is called Living Buddha, Living Christ. He wrote it and was inspired after his conversations with Merton especially, uh, who helped him understand Christianity better. He writes about um, an early kind of catechism that the Buddhists have. It's called the Aguttara Nikaya. It's a series of questions and answers. And one of the questions is, there is a person whose appearance on earth is for the well-being and happiness of all. Who is that person? And Tay writes, well, for the Buddhists, that person is the Buddha. The Buddha is the one whose appearance on earth is for the well-being and happiness of all. For the Christians, he says, that person is Christ. But, and this is the key, he says, through your daily life, 
whether Buddhist or Christian, you help that person to live. You only need walk in mindfulness, he said, making peaceful, happy steps on our planet. Breathe deeply and enjoy your breathing. Be aware that the sky is blue and the birds' songs are beautiful. Enjoy being alive, and you will help the living Christ and the living Buddha continue for a long, long time. At another point in the book, he writes, the miracle is not walking on water. The miracle is walking on the green grass and dwelling deeply and joyfully in that moment and feeling fully alive. And this is, after all, what Jesus said as well. The real miracle of salvation is not life beyond death. It is to be fully alive in Christ, even here, even now. And this is essentially what Paul says as well. Because he affirms that in Christ we have already been given this spirit. It is our gift, our inheritance in Romans 8. He says we are heirs to salvation in Christ. We are co-inheritors with Christ of God's very spirit. The spirit of life is ours to have. It dwells in us. As Christians, we affirm that we put our trust in this truth, not just in the idea of it, but in the person of Jesus Christ. The question we ask people when we have them join the church is, is, is a simple one. We say, do you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? All you have to do is say yes, and that's how we know that you are a Christian. Of course, answering yes to that question entails a lot more than we might expect. Paul elaborates all that it means. When you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you clothe yourself with a new self, and that comes with some practices that you need to follow. And this is true of Buddhism as well. Buddhism has what, is, what are referred to as the three refuges. To be a Buddhist, you affirm three things. You say, I take refuge in the Buddha, meaning I see the Buddha as that person who reveals the way of well-being and happiness in the world. And then you say, I take refuge in the Dharma. This is the second refuge. Dharma means the way. It is the practices that the Buddha encouraged his followers to use to actually achieve the happiness and blessedness that he had achieved. But Te emphasizes that the Dharma is not just about following rules or doing what the Buddha said by the letter of the law. After the Buddha passed away, he says, the Dharma became an eternal body of teaching that is always teaching. It is in the Dharma that the Buddha lives, continuing to give Dharma talks. And if you are attentive enough, he says, you'll be able to hear these teachings from the voice of a petal or a leaf or a cloud in the sky. The enduring Buddha becomes the living Buddha, the Buddha of faith. And that is very much like the Christ of faith, the living Christ. 
Sometimes this idea of the Dharma is summarized in the eightfold path, which are sort of eight practices that Buddhists are supposed to engage in. But, but Thich Nhat Hanh wanted to simplify things a little bit. He said it's really just about one thing. And he called this one thing mindfulness. Mindfulness, he says, is, is touching deeply. He says, discussing God is not the best use of our energy. Rather, uh, if we touch the Holy Spirit, we touch God, not as a concept, but as a living reality. He says, in Buddhism, we never talk about nirvana because nirvana is the extinction of notions and speech. We instead practice nirvana by touching mindfulness in ourselves through sitting meditation, walking meditation, mindful eating, and so on. He actually wrote a few very popular books. One is called How, How to Eat. Another is called How to Walk. But he says the most basic mindful practice is probably one you're familiar with. It's mindful breathing. He, he gives this, this one example early on in the book. And you, you can try this along with me. It says, breathing in, I calm my body. Breathing out, I smile. Dwelling in the present moment, I know this is a wonderful moment. He says, when we attend to our breathing in this way, it's like drinking cool water on a hot day. And when we practice it, it becomes easier. The smile becomes more natural. But I think the truth is that dwelling in the present moment, being mindful in this way, is very difficult. <laughs> Especially when there is so much we have to do. But if there's one thing I think that we can learn from the life of Thich Nhat Hanh, it is the importance of practicing this mindfulness as the baseline for all else. There is no peace, there is no nonviolence, there is no justice, there is no wisdom without first coming to that place of mindfulness where we are touching deeply, not just our own selves, but the God that lives in us through the Spirit of Christ. And so, what we hear in Paul's letter to the Ephesians today is a call to mindfulness, I think. He says, we need to be mindful about what we say. He says, speak the truth. Speak only what is useful for building up. Let no evil talk come out of your mouth. Think before you speak. And then he calls us to be mindful about our emotions. He says, be angry, but do not sin. Anger is a natural human response. It's, it's part of how we interact with the world around us. But anger that is allowed to fester can become a problem for us. And being angry all the time, well, that's just a recipe for disaster. I think oftentimes people misconstrue this little bit of scripture where he says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. People often say, oh, that means don't go to bed angry. It means you've got to fix whatever problem you have, whatever the conflict is before the end of the day. It's not really what it means. It just means you can't constantly be in this state of anger all the time. 
You cannot let the sun come up. You cannot let it go down on your anger. Anger can come, but it has to go. And, 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 and this is something I know from my own life, my own experience. I think it's something so important to be mindful of. It's not fun to be angry all the time. And so Paul says it's better not to make any room in your hearts for the devil to come in. Instead of allowing that anger to fester, to be mindful and grateful of all the good things we have to hold on to, to push out the anger, to not leave space for it. Paul encourages us to be mindful about our work. He says labor and work honestly. There's abundant joy and abundant generosity. Above all, Paul says that when we are mindful about these things, about our speech, about our emotional responses to the world around us, about the work that we do, then we become imitators of God. For we are touching deeply the reality of God that is already present to us here and now, the gift of Christ Jesus. The Buddhists say, I take refuge in the Buddha, I take refuge in the Dharma. And then the last thing they say is, I take refuge in the Sangha. And the Sangha just is the word for community. Because even though we think of Buddhists as being alone by themselves, sitting cross-legged on top of a mountain, Zen Buddhism especially is fundamentally about taking refuge in community, recognizing how hard it is to practice these things by ourselves, but how much we benefit when we are around other people who are trying as well to be mindful of their speech, mindful of their emotions, mindful of their work. Well, in the Christian church, we have the same thing. We have the church, we have the community, this place where we are trying to be mindful, where we take a moment out of all of the busyness of our week to come here to think about all we have been given, to respond with gratitude, to worship and praise God for all the great gifts we have, and to touch deeply the beauty of this life. I just spent three Sundays not in church. And the first Sunday, it was kind of, you know, it kind of felt good, kind of felt a little rebellious, you know. <laughs> a little eerie, like I didn't know what to do with myself. But by the third Sunday, I could feel that something was missing. And so when I said to you this morning, hello, all you beautiful people, it is true. It is a joy for me to be here with you. I hope it is a joy for you all to be here with one another. This community is a place where we come together to lean on one another, to grow together, to practice being after Christ, knowing that, you know, the best we can hope is that we can try and hope that, that in being together, we learn from one another, we support one another to grow in faith, and in turn to grow in happiness and abundance of life. And so I too take refuge in the community. We take refuge in this community of the Holy Spirit where Christ is alive, even here and even now. Amen.
Thank you for listening. I hope this week's message has been a blessing to you. I know that having you listen to it is a blessing to our church. For more information about Union and its ministries, you can visit churchbythepark.org or find us on social media. Our handle is at churchbythepark. Our theme music is by the 126ers. Once again, blessings on your day, on your week, and may the peace of Christ be with you. Thank you.